Welcome to the Vitality Shift Podcast for Chiropractors. I'm your host, Dr. Don McDonald, author of the best-selling book, The Underdog Curse. Weekly, we will be interviewing amazing chiropractors from around the world, finding out how they made their vitality shift. If you're a chiropractor that either wants to just move your practice away from treating pain and conditions, or if you just want to stay inspired, this podcast is for you. For more information on past shows, please visit www.drdonmcdonald.com, and I hope you enjoy the show. Well, hello, podcast listeners, and I want to welcome you to uh, this week's podcast episode. Uh, Today, what we're going to do is do something a little bit different. Um, What I'm going to do is I'm actually going a little bit back into the archives because there's a lot of new listeners uh, that listen to our show now that uh, hadn't really been around at the very beginning. And there's also certain topics that chiropractors need to hear multiple, multiple times. And and I've got a lot of good feedback from the Mike Michalowicz episode. podcast episode where it was called Profit First. And uh, and so what I want to do is I wanted to dive back into the uh, archives, back to episode 50. Um, we're at like 122 now, I think. Um, and it was back when the podcast was called uh, Breaking the Underdog Curse for Chiropractors. Uh, and this is a conversation that I had with my wife, Brandy, talking about our money journey. And, and really for a lot of chiropractors we work with who travel all over the world, um, they, a lot of chiropractors really need to get their money in order. And when, when they get their money in order, um, it makes everything so much easier as far as chiropractic practice goes. Um, because when you're in a state of stress, it's so hard to give ideal recommendations. It's so hard to even deal with objections. Like sometimes um, we find chiropractors don't even want the objections, so they don't even ask stuff. And so they spend most of their time with their practice members, um, you know, not knowing what they're thinking and guessing what they're thinking, um, especially if you're a lab or an amiable uh, personality type, it's the most stressful place in practice. And so, uh, like I always say before, is if you have a million dollars in the bank, cash, uh, and you feel stable, um, you feel a lot more secure when you're going and, and into a report of findings where you know, you're there to help them. Um, you do not need them. Um, you, you actually want to find out what the objections are. Like it's, it's funny when I was first in practice, I absolutely did not want the objections because I was like freaked out about them. But now I actually, I actually like them up front and I actually look for them. And, and even if people are, are being too agreeable to my care plans, I'm always, I'm actually digging for some objections because you know that they're in there. And what I found is the, is the discomfort of finding the objections up front is a lot less stressful than kind of eventually them unraveling down the road or someone's been under care and you don't know if they're going to stay in a care plan and you're kind of doing a visit type by visitor or the, the practice member is one foot in and one foot out. And, and in the past, I'd be too afraid to be able to actually confront that. And, and, and the ironic thing is if you, uh, it can get your money under control, uh, then it becomes less of an issue. Um, and that's the, the, the funny thing about it is that the better you have your money under control, the less you have to talk about it and the less you even think about it. And the more you think about who are your ideal uh, pa- practice members or patients, um, who do you want to work with? Uh, you give them your ideal recommendations. You can be totally truthful and say that, you know what, if you don't follow through with these recommendations, you can't really expect this results. Um, it just kind of frees you up. And so uh, I wanted to pull this one out of the archives just to um, 
because it was a good one. And I just want like a lot of the new listeners out here uh, haven't heard this one before because this was back from about probably almost a year and a half ago. Uh, and some of them that some of you who have listened to it, it's probably good to listen to it again because it's always good um, to listen to things. I just listened to the Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey uh, just this last week. And and a lot of the concepts I already know, but it just kind of increased my excitement because we only have one little thing left to pay off and then we're going to be totally debt free. And it just kind of gave me a little more excitement. And now I'm like, I'm going to, you know, in the next uh, three or four months, my goal is to annihilate that so that we have actually had no, no debt, not including mortgage, like nothing. And, uh, and so I, I just wanted to take this time to, uh, to just share one of the old episodes with you and hope you really enjoy it. Um, for those of you uh, that want to join us around the world, we have a couple events coming up. Of course, we have our uh, Gold Coast Shift Unplugged. It's going to be in Australia here. Uh, just It's uh, Kingscliff, which is just outside the Gold Coast, and it's going to be on May 29th and May 30th. Um, that's going to be a really good one. We do have some spots left, I think. So if you look up uh, www.trueconceptseminars.com, you'll be able to find information on that. And then, of course, we have our Unplugged Shift Unplugged in London, England, um, and that's going to be in September, so September 11th and 12th. Uh, so, uh, and again, we have different events going on. I think we're going to be opening up our online program, the vitality shift again, the last week of March. So we've got a few things going on. So hopefully when we travel around, we'll see you out there somewhere. And, uh, and I just, uh, hope you enjoy the, this, uh, this goodie oldie and I uh, hope you are keeping your money under control so that you can, like I used to say, crush the curse. Now enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Breaking the Underdog Curse. This is Dr. Don McDonald, your host, and today I have another special guest. You might have heard her before. She's my honey, Randy <laughs> McDonald. Welcome Hi, to Dr. the Don. podcast. Today is going to be our rambles. Um, it's funny, we have, a, we have a little community in our Vitality Ship program, and we always have coffee with Don and Randy. Uh, we're recording this on a Saturday. It comes out on a Wednesday, but we just finished a full day of work and got to the gym. And so this is Rambles with Dr. Don and Brandy with Scotch. <laughs> so, yeah. so if you're listening to this on a Wednesday morning somewhere in the world and it's 8, 8 7 a.m., that won't sound as good as if you're listening to this on a Saturday afternoon and it's 30 above. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and so we're just, we're just enjoying our Scotch and we want to welcome you to the podcast um, I just first want to give a shout out to everybody who's been listening. I want to thank you very much. Um, I had a couple trolls come on my, um, on my iTunes and, you know, do the old, we're not real doctors thing. And there's no way this podcast can be doing this good. You guys suck. And, uh, and I, uh, I put it on Facebook and I got about 12 reviews in two weeks. So I want to thank everybody from around the world who gave me some reviews to help counterbalance our little trolls. And with all your help, um, I think I'm just, we just hit over 72,000 downloads and uh, this is just, we've just hit episode 50. Awesome. So 50 awesome. episodes of Breaking the Underdog Curse for Chiropractors. So That's exciting. And almost 100,000 downloads. Good job. Yeah. And I hope everybody's enjoying it out there. Um, you know, feel free to, to drop me a line on Facebook, share this uh, podcast with other people too, because I know people are downloading and listening to it, but you guys are pretty quiet out there. So let me know how you like it. So the silent creepers of the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, one of the funniest things for us was when we were in Cairo, Europe, uh, in Malaga, and uh, we were, I think I was adjusting somebody yeah. at, at a table, and someone came up and said, I recognize that voice. <laughs> but you had never met them before. They no, just I recognized never, your voice. <laughs> and they didn't even know who I was, but they recognized my voice from the podcast. So I was like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> it's so, your radio voice. 
So today, um, we want this, uh, this show to be called, What Does Money Have to Do With It? Mm. Because uh, as chiropractors and healers and people who like to serve others, sometimes money is the last thing we end up um, talking about. And then that ends up creating the whole challenge, which prevents, prevents us from serving more people. Yeah. So I brought uh, my special guest on to talk a little bit about that because she's worked with a lot of chiropractors about that mindset. So, so where do you think this money challenge mindset comes from, my dear? <laughs> well, it is not a million dollar question. Okay. First of all, let's, let's preface a few things. If maybe people haven't listened to the podcast before, I am not a money expert. So you're never going to see me doing a Susie Orman or a TV show about like what to invest in. And so that, that is but not hey, what but I you do. watch Shark Tank all the time, so you totally know. <laughs> Somehow, I don't think that makes me a money expert. Uh, <laughs> I am a mindset expert, though, and I am a human behavior expert, and, I, and I've worked a lot with people and their relationships with themselves, and really money is just an extension of that. So I think that that's probably the spin I want to take today is a little bit about, um, not a little bit about, let me take some scotch, and then we'll talk a lot about um, the fact that uh, you know, money is really an extension of somebody's belief systems. And so I think we've done lots of shows, not lots, but two or three relationships. We've done it. We've done it on teams. Everything that, ex- that extends outside of yourself externally um, is always just based on a relationship you have internally with yourself. And money is just part of that. It's just with money in the world today, and probably always, there's just such a massive emotion behind money. And so it's hard to have an objective conversation about money with anybody because we're so emotionally tied to money because of our experiences we've had with money. And I don't even necessarily mean altered emotions like shame and guilt and embarrassment. I just sometimes even mean elation and excitement. And, you know, so there's, there's lots of different emotions that sit with money and we, then we pair those two together. Money is nothing. Money is like a piece of paper and coins. It only has, it's so interesting to watch. Like, again, I know nothing about cryptocurrency or any of the, 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 as I called it, monopoly money, because I don't understand it. Like it's somebody can just wake up one morning and decide there's value to something and get enough people who believe there's value to something. And all of a sudden there's value to it. Well, that's what money is. We just happen to trade on value of this paper right now. And eventually it'll probably be something other than paper. It already is something other than paper. I shouldn't say it will be. It's, uh, there's lots of different ways that we exchange value. And so I think when it relates to money, so specifically, I think there's two people that listen to your podcast. I think there's chiropractors in practice, and then there's employees. So there's either staff members. We know that the general public listens to this. We know a lot of our patients listen to the podcast that are not necessarily entrepreneurs or business owners, uh, but they might be employees making a salaried wage. And I think that there's, I think, I think the mindset is the same. It doesn't really matter what you do, that, that money is really a learned, a learned belief system. So everything we learn about money, everything, unless you unlearn it, you've learned from your parents. That is where we learn about money. And it may not even be as obvious as money, but what we learn about the value of things, how we get money, what money means to us, how we spend money, what we think about other people who either have money or don't have money. We learn all that from our parents. Mm -hmm. And at some point, depending on whether or not we think money is serving us or you're serving money, 
we start to look at, are those beliefs actually serving us to where we want to go? And so money either controls you or you control money. And I would suggest a lot of people, money controls them. It's either lack of money controls them or the desperation seeking of money to fill some emptiness controls them. And those are the two ends of the spectrum I think that a lot of us deal with when it comes to money. And neither of them have anything to do with money and everything to do with what we believe and what we believe about ourselves and what we've learned as kids. Yes. And I think a, a good way to start, and we've shared this with some of our, our little tribe, is kind of our differences because you kind of got the two extremes on either end of the spectrum about money. Um, where, well, I'll talk about my my experience with money and then you can talk about yours. And so when we, we started dating, get married, um, the funny thing about it was uh, as soon as we got engaged, um, I wanted to get married right away. I, I, as most of you know, I, I had a hard time and still have a hard time. I still was delaying gratification, <laughs> right? So I was like, hey, we got engaged. Let's get married right away. And then- Well, actually, uh, first you should talk about how the ring even got made because again- you, oh, yeah. you were broke. Uh, actually, no. is there more than broke? If there's less than zero, we had you had less than zero because you yeah. were in deficit with debt. Okay, this would be for those young guys out there um, that you're thinking about getting engaged. And well, you know what? I did it, and we still survived. But it might not be the smartest way. But I, you know what? I would have still, I probably would have still done it that way because that that was the way I got to where I am now. So it can't be too bad. Well, again, there's no good or bad. There's just yeah. a story behind it so people can understand the evolution. I think. So um, I wanted to get this nice ring. And uh, so um, I ended up having a patient who was a jeweler, which was great because then I'm like, hey, let's do some exchange of services so I can get some credit for this ring because I was broke. But I also didn't want to be embarrassed and give her a, like a crappy ring because I was like, that's kind of embarrassing. But I don't like I didn't have any credit, uh, like I didn't have a house. I still I still all I had was my student loans. My um, I was net worth negative lots. Yeah. And um but the only thing I did have was this F-150 truck. And on, this, on, on debt, like on a truck de Oh yeah, 100% on debt. You didn't have debt. the truck. <laughs> so it's a, it's, a, it's a truck that I owe. And so what I did was I went to the bank, which actually was funny because it was another practice member of mine who was working, who worked at a bank and she worked in loans department. And I was, trying, and I was trying to get a loan for this ring because I'm like, I don't have money, but I need to get a loan for this ring. And I didn't have a credit card that would have enough uh, credit to be able to put this ring on it. So, um, so I went to her and she's like, okay, what do you have for collateral? Which I didn't really know what collateral was. And I guess collateral means that if you don't pay your loan, they can come and take something away from you so that they can get part of their money back if you don't pay for it. And the only um, collateral I had was, was a truck that I had financed. <laughs> and so what they did is she said, what we can do is we, we can refinance your truck and then mix your ring in the, in the refinancing of your truck to get a loan that's worth way more, actually way more than the value of my truck. I'm, I'm actually surprised they even did it because if they would, if I wouldn't have paid in the loan and they just took the truck, they would have been negative. Have been negative. So I did that to get enough money to buy this ring. Um, and the funny thing is just down the road, um, I wanted to get a new vehicle, but I also wanted to pay down the truck. So at least the truck was worth the same amount as I owed on it. And I was accelerating the payments and it took years after, but the truck was depreciating at the same at the same speed that I was trying to pay that sucker off. So the value of my truck's going down while I'm trying to pay the loan off. So that's a, that's a tough one is to um, get a loan on a depreciating asset because not only do you pay interest on it, but, <laughs> but what's, what's valued is also depreciating. So everything's going down the tubes at the same time while you're quickly trying to, the best way to, to describe it would be like trying to wash dishes really quick in the, in a sink that the drains out and you're quickly trying to do it before the water all runs out. So anyway, 
I come from a background where we borrow money because we didn't have any money. And in our, in our, um, in my experience growing up, um, the only way we could get money is by borrowing it. And so, um, so again, we get back to getting married and then Brandy's like, I'm like, Hey, let's get married. Let's do it in like two months. And she, and Brandy's <laughs> like, we don't have, we don't have any money. And I said, well, let's just do it anyway. I'm sure we can get a loan. <laughs> let's get another loan. I think let's, I just, what I think, else can I consolidate? <laughs> what else can I put on, like go to the pawn shop or something, right? <laughs> and, um, and she said, no, she said, I won't marry you unless we already have money for the wedding. And I was like, holy crap, do you know how long that's going to take? And she said, yes. And it was about 18 months. And yeah, so we had to figure out how much it was, which it was yeah. like, for me, who's like instant grad, let's just do it. This is going to be great. To actually sit down and plan out how much our budget for the wedding is going to be. And then pre-figure pre out how much monthly savings we have to do every month to save so that by the time we get to the wedding, we pay for it clear. And, um, and so I'm glad we did it, even though I kind of bucked in and kicked and complained about it. But um, my aspect of money was if I had minus $1,500 in my account, that was zero. Because I just lived in my overdraft all the time, plus all my loans. And then we have Brandy, which you can explain. She came from the total other end of the spectrum. Yeah. So, so for you, like as a kid, that's all you, even, even if that's what I was talking about earlier, even if you notice, even if your parents never sat down and said, like, we live every month in our overdraft, like as a kid, you don't, you may not even know that, but, but as children, you, you'd be surprised what you pick up from your parents. And for you, your dad was always a business owner. And so he always, he was never an employee with a set income every month. So if you needed extra stuff, then it was on credit and, and credit or you worked harder <laughs> or you worked or you worked more hours or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. and then more income would come in where for me, my parents are business owners, but they're what we call asset rich cash broke because my parents are ranchers, cattle ranchers. And, um, they live on a massive farm. They have 500 head of cattle. Um, and you know, you might think, wow, like she comes from a wealthy family. We were broke. And as a kid, all I knew was that if we didn't have cash for it, we didn't get it. So we, in my entire upbringing as a child, I never one time went on a holiday with my family. So we never went on a plane. I wasn't on a plane until I was 25. I, we didn't even go camping. We, I'd never been in a hotel because that was frivolous. And so from my parents' perspective, the basic needs that we had were paid for on cash. So I was actually like, I think I met you before I actually really understood what a mortgage was yep. because of course I didn't, I didn't really even know what a mortgage was. I'd never had a credit card till I think I met you. I'd never had a personal credit card. Look at it. It all went downhill. I, I oh, think come on. You've been on lots of holidays now. You weren't I anywhere. Think, you weren't I even think, going to plane until that's we That's true. That's true. I paid <laughs> cash for everything. Uh, I made, you know, like I'm not that old. Everybody says like, that was so long ago. I'm like, it was not that long ago. And my first job, I thought I was killing it. And I was making eight fifty an hour. And no matter what, so yours was actually, Don was minus $1,500 in the hole. If he got to zero that month, he thought he was up $1,500. I, on the other hand, always needed about $1,500 in my bank account above zero. FYI, because I never knew what an overdraft was. I'd never heard of an overdraft until I met Dawn. So we could not have come from different experiences growing up. And both were actually so polar opposite that I believe neither of them 
uh, would have served us to the degree in which we are today had we not been able to unlearn some of the things that our parents had taught us. And again, whenever I talk about what our parents taught us, there's always some kickback, like my parents did the best they could. They're amazing. I, yeah, I would say the same about both of our parents. Yep, we are who we are today because of our parents. But at some point, if you're not, if you're not where you need to be or want to be for that matter, you have to start unlearning some of the things that you learned before you can even remember your life. And we have an amazing thing called free will. Yes, of course. And, and, and choice and options. And we don't have to continue the patterns of the past if we choose not to. And for us, we just chose not to. And that just would be the journey over a thousand miles, which took probably 15 years for us to really start to, to unlearn some of the things that our parents taught us. And along with that, whether or not we came from massive debt or I came from, you know, as I thought, being poor, where we never got anything extra. We never had fun food. We never had junk food. We never had anything because I would hear all the time from my parents, we, we have no money. So other kids get that because they have more money or new clothes. You don't need new clothes. We don't have the money. So every year when school started, we had no money. And every year when I saw you know, kids with fancy things at school, whether that be their school supplies or their new clothes, I never had that because we had no money. Now, I wasn't shoddy. I wasn't going up and out in tattered clothes. But I was wearing what I wore the year before, for sure, because it was frivolous. Frivolous was a word that I grew up with from my parents. It was frivolous to spend money on things. I was never in any, sec any secondary activities. I would never have played organized sports. I never did anything outside of school because it cost money. And from my parents' perspective, that was frivolous. And it really wouldn't achieve anything other than me having fun and you don't spend money on fun. So that was my experience where for your experience, your parents taught you, you should go do, we can't afford it, but we'll, whatever it takes, we'll make it happen. You're going to play basketball. You're going to play hockey. You know, we will still buy your equipment. It might be secondhand. Your kid, the kids grew up really experiencing things because your parents, even though they were cash broke, they put it on credit card. Well, and to a point, right? When I, when I was younger, because I think my dad, as, as he developed his business, he started to get, because again, that was one of the things my little sister said was that when I grew up, I heard that we don't have more money more often because my dad quite, well, with the business, they hadn't really got things off the ground. So I wasn't even allowed to try out for the traveling hockey team because I just, they wouldn't, couldn't afford to traveling. Yeah. And so that's why I played basketball because all you need is, is running shoes. <laughs> Right, totally. Versus hockey. Yeah, It's a lot cheaper. So like I, I did grow up with that in my mind and everything. And also too, the ironic thing is that when I was around that age, because my parents had to, had to get financing, that was when, um, I think it was in the eighties when the interest rates went ballistic. So it was crazy because I think my dad on, on, on the business that he owned on the building, I think the interest went up to about 15 or 16% interest on the mortgage on his building. Yeah. So I just want you guys to imagine what would it be like to be paying 15 or 16% interest on your house mortgage. Like, yeah. so everything huge pounding in there was just basically paying for interest. And my first little lesson for money, which was really good is my dad always said, every time I worked for my dad, since I was about eight years old, I started off making like 25 cents an hour, making condiments, like wrapping those little condiments at a restaurant. And, um, but he, he said 50% of everything you make has to go into savings for school. Because he knew if you get to school, like you'll have a different life because he, he worked his butt off. My parents worked their butt off so that we could have a different life. Mm -hmm. But out of that 50% I could use, I did save that and I put it in a Alberta bond. 
Alberta government bond at 18% interest. <laughs> now, could you imagine having a bond that's backed by the government? That gives you I don't think they have those anymore. No, they do. They do, but it's like, it's like 2% or something yeah. like that. So I made like, I was the only one who made all this huge, I made lots of money so that with my extra, I could buy a shock bike. So I bought a, bo- a bike with shocks and had a fake plastic gas tank on it. It was really cool. Nice. So I think, I think when we talk about like what our parents taught us, I, I don't mean to suggest that they taught us nothing positive about money. Because no. I, I, there were, in everything that we learn as kids around money and, and success or financial freedom or financial stability, through all of that, there's always these things that have been instilled in us that are actually really positive and, and actually motivators. And I don't think we ever get rid of that even when we unlearn some of the, some of the lies. Because I think, I think a lot of us, so if we, talk, if we spoke specifically talk about chiropractic and chiropractors, some of the pathology that exists in the profession today is the fact that we have, we have chiro, we know this because we work with them. We have chiropractors that, that don't have any money for retirement. Yep. Um, and then on the far end, we have the young chiropractors, especially in the United States, who have a broken system of being able to get money at their fingertips whenever they want, if they're American. So now it's different if you come from a different country and you go to the United States. Thankfully, you have to max, you do max out your student loans. And then your family is putting stuff on line of credit. You're getting lines of credits for the bank. But in the States, if you're an American citizen, you could just like, you need some more money? You could just loan it up. And these kids are graduating with these crushing, like crushing student loan debts. And their income to debt ratio just doesn't match. And nobody's taught them about money. And so it just appears like money is appearing in their bank account. And, and if they have not had the opportunity to learn about what it takes to build a practice, um, when you graduate with $250,000 worth of student loans uh, and you don't have the business skills or worse, you have a relationship where perhaps you go into a clinic and you are on a salaried income and it's not enough to even start chipping away even at the interest, you're never really fully getting ahead. Yeah, and that's the challenge. Yeah, so I think we have both ends of the spectrum in the profession, and and a lot of it has to do with the fact is is I think we just we we have so much we have so much emotion around money, and so therefore to have a conversation about money is really really challenging, and I think part of that is that we have to start looking at can we just have an objective conversation about money, and under that objective conversation comes our conversations about what does it take to run a business. What does it take to save money? What does it take to look at all the business skills that we need? And because we have such an emotional charge on it, we just never are able to have those conversations because we have all these belief systems about money. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you've received value from this episode, please share this with a fellow chiropractor and take some time to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever your favorite place is to listen to podcasts. If you're interested in learning more about our programs and events, please visit www.thevitalityshift.com or connect with me on Facebook. I would love to hear from you. So until next time, Dr. Don out.